You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I don't know if you've had a great weekend because Geelong hasn't played, so it's, it's hard for you to be be up or down. We've got a Geelong game coming tonight, but uh, you had, a, I guess, a stress-free weekend of watching footy. I did. Uh, it's kind of weird because they played on the Thursday night the week before, so with all the footy that we're about to see, it's been kind of strange, but it's also kind of relaxing. You can just sit back. There's no stress. There's no pressure. Although, again, we keep talking about it, but we're, uh, I'm looking at the ladder. And I'm, I'm seeing the cats just keep sliding, sliding, sliding. And I'm realizing how tight this thing is. I yeah. think tonight's game, they can get as high as third and drop as low as 13th, I think, based on tonight's results. So uh, it's crazy out there. Yeah, it, it is. The the movement within the... And you see, I think, I don't know where I was looking at the ladder, but, you know, positions moved. There's about five teams that had moved four spots. And just, you know, from... Just one win, one loss, and you you can move from you know, fifth to ninth, and in the eight to out of the eight, and, and vice versa. It's a uh, it is really tough, and you just it just puts the pressure on. He's got to keep winning. What about the crows, though? Uh, oh listen, yeah, you, you said you <laughs> said maybe I was going a bit uh, going a bit hard on the crows and and saying that they would be a chance to win this one, but they should have bloody won this game. And this is the second week in a row, particularly in the third quarter, and it followed through to the fourth quarter in this one, even with Crouch on the bench with a hamstring. Uh, Duday as well was out for the majority of this game. So the Crows were undermanned. Uh, Essendon came in missing players, we know. But Adelaide, they're having a crack. They're back at Adelaide Oval now. They've got the fans out there. The fans are going absolutely nuts at anything, anything and everything. And the Crows put up a pretty good fight. That was actually a decent game to watch. That's two weeks in a row. Uh, Adelaide put in a, a pretty good performance against St Kilda and had you know tons of the ball in yeah. that second half as well, and did the similar thing here. And you know, poor kicking again. Eight eleven, they kicked. They go down by three points. They were right in this game the whole way. And you know, getting back home has obviously helped them. They're not the greatest team, but again, seeing competitiveness, uh, it, it's it's huge to see from a, an Adelaide perspective or an, as an Adelaide fan because the last thing you want to see is teams just getting nowhere near it and providing a little bit of excitement. Hey, you want them to win, but at this point you realize the season's, you know, it's, it's cooked, but let's see the young guys play. Let's see the competitiveness return, and that's what's happened. Yeah, I was actually watching this game, and I will say, I said I enjoyed it, and I did. I enjoyed the contest because there was two teams that were desperate to win. Essendon could not afford to lose this game uh, based on, on, you know, ladder position of the Crows and what, what the Bombers are trying to achieve uh, this year. It's just a must-win game for them. But Adelaide were having a crack and I thought the skill level was pretty terrible to be honest like they they would have kicked more goals but they just couldn't hit a target but I was intrigued in the game and I was hooked on the game because they were both just flying in and and having a crack and sometimes that's kind of a fun game to watch in that scenario uh yeah as I said Adelaide more than a few opportunities towards the end of the game and and just couldn't capitalize in front of goal and I know we're going to get that to that a little bit later but goal kicking accuracy in footy in 2020 with the shorter quarters your ability to get momentum, put score on the board, uh, particularly early. It's just critical. And we're seeing teams lose games based on uh, missing goals, and it, it hurts. It really hurts. So, Kane, who is, uh, who's under pressure? Pressure. 
Well, it's Alistair Clarkson, but I want to say this from a funny point of view because Alistair Clarkson is under pressure from uh, John Longmire this week. Now, we saw this (laughs) was Damien Hardwick in this position a couple of weeks ago, and I love it. And first of all, I don't care if opposition coaches talk about other players. I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. He called uh, Tom Papley a diver. He probably is. Did he dive in that situation that they were talking about? I don't think so. He got hit pretty pretty hard from behind by James Frawley. It was a stupid uh, decision for him to make at the time. He got another goal. It was a huge penalty in a game that ultimately was very close. But Clarkson, uh, he's just up there. He's not going to shy away from from talking about opposition players or anything like that. And I love it. I love the coaches' rivalries. I don't. I'm not out here saying that Clarkson should be quiet and not talk about uh, the opposition. I think it's great. I love that there's. You know, it's just a little bit of friction between the coaches. I think that's what we should see. They don't all have to love each other and be brothers, as they say, and have the coaches' brotherhood. But the Hawks overall uh, lose that game to Sydney. We spoke about the fact that the Swans, uh, obviously missing Kennedy, missing Heaney, who, by the way, if you saw the photos of his uh, post-surgery, not great. Not a great sight to see the, the state of his foot after that. But we know the Swans are under man. This was one the Hawks had to win if they wanted to. Uh, still keep themselves in the mix for finals. The big thing for mine now, the percentage down below 80% for, for Hawthorne. There's no doubt this season now they're probably getting to a point where uh, they need to, to try some different things, get some young guys in. I'm, I'm listening to Hawthorne fans on Twitter saying that they have got some young guys uh, that aren't getting the game. Maybe it's time to get them in there because this was, this was a really disappointing loss for them. And again, it, it probably just shows where they're at at the moment. I mean, uh, 15th on the ladder. The only teams below them are Fremantle, North Melbourne, and Adelaide, so it's not great. We talked about, well, yeah, actually, if Fremantle wins tonight, they'll go above Hawthorne, so that's that, that could yeah. look even worse for them. But we talked about we gave them the benefit of the doubt at the start of the season, saying you know, that the fixture they had was tough. You know, they had Collingwood, they had GWS, they played you know, Brisbane and got that win in round one, but they played some, some pretty good teams and they'd fallen short, and yeah, they'd go, okay, well, look, that's, that's one of the toughest schedules that people have had so far. Let's see how it goes. Well, yeah, then when you you have to take on Sydney and, and can't get over the line, you lose to Melbourne, who struggled early this season. That's where the concern really starts to kick in. We had plenty of concerns with Hawthorne and their list and their tall backline set up through, all throughout the season, but it seems like it's even more than that that's causing problems at the moment. Yeah, and I've said this before. It's not the worst season to dip out. Like I, <laughs> Hawthorne, they do actually have a decent nucleus of players from that 25 to 30 range that are going to be around for a while. I mean, they're really high-quality players. Obviously, Mitchell... And Amira lead lead that list, but uh, it's not a bad year to drop out. I've said this, you know, like this season is so crazy, everything's compressed. Uh, if you're not in it and you're not one of the top teams, then you're not you're not going to win a flag. Then I don't know, try some things, experiment. This is the year to experiment with things, and you can definitely get away with it. I mean, you look at the the compressed fixture and the games they're going to play over the next few weeks. Just try some things. Try some things. Get some young guys in the team. At this point, for Hawthorne, at three and five, they've lost four in a row. Uh, you know, it's not looking like they're going to be a finals team this year. No, and uh, yeah, I think that's a problem is that they're not really trying that many things at, at this right. stage. They eventually should flip into that mode, and I'm pretty sure they will. But they are—they're definitely under some pressure. If I was looking for who I think is under pressure, I've got a couple of answers here because I think the the people who you know consistently decry the state of the game and how boring it all is and how terrible the footy is—you look at outside of Hawthorne this week. Who who was bad? Gold Coast and Bulldogs, close game. GWS beat Richmond. Richmond with injury concerns. I wouldn't say Richmond's under pressure. North Melbourne, they fought back. They did what they needed to do. 
Competitive against Carlton. Carlton struggled but got the win. That's you know, a positive both there. Sydney get a win. St. Kilda with a, a big win on the road against Port Adelaide. You wouldn't say Port's in trouble because they lost that game. Essendon, they still got the win even though it was a struggle, but you know, that's not bad. Collingwood, okay. That was really bad, but they're, in no, in no, they're not under pressure. And then Melbourne and Brisbane, like another close game. So I think most people, you know, it's a bad loss from Port. It's a bad loss from Collingwood. But they're not going to be feeling completely down on themselves after that. So I think in general, most people would be feeling you know, pretty pretty okay. I think that the quality of footy was was strong in, in most, of, most of the games. One bloke who probably is not feeling great after the weekend is Jasper Pittard, though. Um, after uh, the and the three quarter time siren, uh, North Melbourne had a mark shot for goal to really, I think, to actually hit the lead over Carlton, and he comes in for the absolutely, uh, I don't know, completely unnecessarily, you know, jostle and gives away a free kick. Now, did Mark Murphy accentuate the contact? Of course he did. I, I would. Why, that's that's what you do every time, but. There was no need for him to come in. Literally no need at all. There was no play happening. There was nothing going on. Costi's team a shot at goal, and they end up losing by seven points. And who knows if that would have been the difference, but that the goals on sirens are often big momentum swings. Yeah, it shouldn't have been a free kick, first of all. But my, my thoughts have always been that in regards to floppers, whether it's basketball, which we know it's been a huge thing for many years, my thing has always been, well, I don't blame the players if they're getting rewarded for it. Yeah. And, and there, there has to be a way... For the, uh, the the umpires, the officials, whatever sport you're you're looking at, for the umpires to say, okay, well you've you've dove, so I'm not giving you a free kick there. Unfortunately, in other sports, we've seen it come in to the point where it's almost irreversible because uh, they have been rewarded for that play. So that's what I look at when I'm looking at AFL now. It's been a thing, a theme over the last two years where more players are diving, more players are fainting for free kicks. I actually think the league has done a pretty damn good job of. Uh, identifying players ducking their heads and and not not so much the like the the shrug the arm up to the too high free kick that's one that's still there and it's it's a ta- it's a skill it's definitely I mean if you grab someone by the head it's hard not to call the free kick but I think the ducking the head leading with the head I think the umpires have done a pretty good job with that I, I think this is the next one if a player comes in like Pittard did I, I think that regardless of of how uh, aggressive the push or the the play is, I think it's a free kick because this is something we've seen this year that it's, it really pisses me off, to be honest. I don't know why it's come into the game, the whole fake tough guy. Uh, oh, this got, my teammate took a contested mark on this play, so I have to go in there and like ruffle his hair or, or give him a push or mouth off to him a little bit because I know he can't do anything back to me. Maybe he'll give away a 50, and that's what it's become, and I don't like it. If you're going to come in and mouth off when you had literally nothing to do with the contest like Pittard, you deserve a free kick to go against you. That's fair enough for mine. Yeah, I, I, just, I just don't see the need for it. Like he wasn't, he wasn't involved in that contest. He didn't take the mark. What, what good did he do in that scenario? Apart from cost his team a shot at goal. It's just, and that's back to the, the Papley one. Like he kicked that goal and then went straight at Mitchell, who was sort of on the ground trying to get up. And like, what, what for? Like, I, I know you kicked the goal, but like you kicked the goal. Like, what, what are you, what are we trying to do here? I, well, I, just, they- I don't understand it. Well, those two, those two, that's a little bit different for mine because they were clearly going back and forth a little bit before that, and they're playing on each other. If so, my my problem with that would be if Papley kicks the goal, and then another Sydney player comes in and mouths off a Mitchell. It's like, okay, all right, listen, you you weren't involved in that play, you didn't do that. So yeah, I mean, maybe it's not a great look, but it, it, them two were at least against each other. I don't like the guys coming in that have nothing to do with the contest. It's ridiculous to me. Yeah, that's a, that's the Jeremy Cameron special that one coming in and uh, and uh, and puffing the chest out when you weren't involved in the contest. Uh, but yeah, look, it's it's but it's well, there's nothing positive 
to be gained there from Pittard? You've got the you've got the kick, the sirens rung. Like what what do you possibly gain? You gain absolutely nothing, and, and that is something that hopefully he learns from. But hopefully the rest of the league, uh, you know, takes note that shit, that cost us a goal, a shot at goal, maybe the game, and we see that dialed back. So it's pretty it'd be massively frustrating as a Kangaroos fan to see that opportunity, which could have really launched them into that final quarter taken away from an active absolute stupidity well they were only down by a goal at the time and it was yeah. a pretty good shot it was i mean it was you know what 40 meters out mostly directly in front so if they get a goal there they go into three-quarter time with the scores tied and all it does is put more pressure on him as well because uh, later in that fourth quarter he, he dropped a chest mark and it, there's been a lot of attention on this and i and when i look at it and I see how hard it was raining. I'm like, okay, I mean, that happens. Like, people are going to drop marks in the driving rain like that. I mean, it's not like it was the most horrific mistake of all time. It was a poor mark, uh, drop. He should have taken the mark. There's no doubt about that. But the only reason that gets, gets highlighted then is because he's put the pressure on himself by giving away the free kick. So now everyone's like, okay, you did that, and now you've made this mistake later in the game. Otherwise, it probably doesn't get highlighted. What else did you like over the weekend, Kane? Well, I love the West Coast Collingwood game. And, and I mean, Collingwood fans wouldn't have loved this game, but we spoke about this on the weekend. I still think this is a genuine uh, grand final potential matchup, but the Eagles are rolling, aren't they? I yeah. mean, we've now that they've got, they've got back to Perth, they sort of weathered the storm in the Queensland hub. They didn't like it. They really didn't like it, but they picked up a couple of late wins. And now all of a sudden, again, it's just absurd to think about. Now that they're, they're sitting... Up in fourth on the ladder, they picked up valuable percentage. I mean, they picked up 15% in this game. And catastrophic, really, for the Pies in that regard. Uh, they do have the draw, so percentage isn't necessarily as important for them uh, across the, the rest of the league. But even based uh, just with Richmond, a team that they could jostle with for a position on the ladder, Collingwood went into that game with a 35% lead on the Tigers. Now it's down to just 7%. So a disastrous day for the Pies. There's really no other way to uh, to talk about it. Yeah, and that second half, 11 goals to one. Like we see plenty of games where there's not 11 goals kicked combined in a game, and West Coast piled that on in one half. Collingwood obviously were on the back foot from the, the late withdrawal from Scott Pendlebury. He was out there warming up, and yeah. then you had that back tightness and quad issue related to that. And that and throws all your planning out the window, because often when there's a late, a late withdrawal, yeah, before the game, teams are announced. Oh, this guy's pulled out. Like the teams know that on Thursday, or they know that on Friday. Like they're, they're planned for that. This wasn't one of those cases. This was he's ready to go. Oh shit, he's not ready to go. Uh, and then everything has to be changed. And that's not an excuse to lose by you know, 66 points, but it is also something that, that throws you out. And they got off to a pretty good start, Collingwood. Uh, they were up at quarter time. And then they just couldn't maintain that, and West Coast really put the foot down. And you called this a couple of weeks ago just to, to watch for Tim Kelly really starting to, to hit his stride, and I think he's looking super, super dangerous at the moment. Yeah, he was, he was unbelievable yesterday. He looked like the Geelong Tim Kelly, didn't he? I mean, he was just so calm, every possession. He seemed like he had a lot of time again. Uh, his skills are just brilliant. I mean, he's one of the best in the in the game at uh, not over-kicking the ball. He just lays it in front of the, the leading forwards, puts it into space, and they're able to take that in full stride. I thought Kelly was great. But the Penderbury omission is important to know because, again, we've spoke about the fact that, yes, they lost to Goey, a guy who, you know, we like him better up forward, but he's gone through the middle a little bit. Uh, so they lose his clearance ability. Penderbury, a very, very late withdrawal. And just when you look at the ball winners in this game for the Pies, Trelaw, who we know, has just been getting an absolute stack of it. Only had 22 on this one and Taylor Adams 21. And then it drops right down after that. So they were just lacking that extra ball winner. And I think... For a lot of teams, there's elite 
as Collingwood are in that midfield brigade, there's always a, a tipping point. And I think losing Pendlebury for them, going up against one of the strongest midfields, and Nick Nat, who we need to talk about, uh, was just a step too far for them. Nick Nat Nui, I, I mentioned the, the Nat Nui Brody Grundy uh, matchup on Friday, and I, I put some of the numbers out there. And boy, I mean, this was a this was a masterclass from Nat Nui. If it, uh, he finished with, sorry, I'll split this out. He finished nine for 24. So that's nine hitouts to advantage out of his total four, total 24. So that's 37.5%. Again, he had a number of those clearances that we spoke about. I mean, there's a reason why coming into this game, he was ranked number four in the league total for clearances, not just amongst Ruckman, number four total, because he taps the friggin' ball to himself and then pumps it forward and gets inside 50s and gets Eagles gets the Eagles deep opportunities inside 50. Nick Dad knew he was the game changer here. Yeah, there's not a lot of nuance in those clearances. When we talk about the difference between right. the way that Grundy gets the ball and uses it, but Nat knew he gets it. And we when we highlighted this last week, talking about just how much uh, meterage he gains with his disposals, and that's it. he just gets it and boots it forward and just gets that get that cracking. And he was fantastic. Like he didn't have a huge meters gained game no. in this one, only 82. But prior to that, he'd been really strong. But getting your 37 percent hit outs to advantage is an absolutely huge number. And yeah, that's that's the difference there because Grundy was he was nowhere to be seen. He only he only had five hitouts to advantage. Grundy he had uh, you know, 20 21 percent. So that's that's it's a big big difference there. And you know we're not looking at big numbers here from Nat Nui, but holding Grundy to small numbers and then being that effective himself around those uh, around those clearances is a, is a massive reason and a rare a rare game where Grundy lowers his colours. So before we move on, I, I do want to talk about. Collingwood a little bit and their scoring so this is more just something to watch I mean we've spoke about this last week after they beat Collingwood after they beat Geelong I think I said listen the Pies are a genuine premiership contender and they they still without a question are but I said if you get them in the grand final expect the final score to be 50 to 30 because that's the way they play uh, and, and they've struggled to score. I mean, there's no question about that. I love the inclusion of Cameron yesterday. I just think that he, or I like the fact that he's in the side, I should say, because I, I love uh, him across half forward. He's a presence. He's able to take those contested marks. I think he's more of a, just a natural footballer than Mason Cox. So I think he's a guy that's probably going to keep his spot. But ultimately, the, the pies outside of the first quarter, this has been a theme all year. We spoke about this. Four goals in the first quarter yesterday, only two for the rest of the game. So far this season... They're 30 goals, 13 in the first quarter, and then 38 goals, 55 from the second through fourth quarter. So accuracy is obviously uh, something to note there. But they're on average winning the first quarter by 15 points, and they jumped out to a quick lead again yesterday. And then they just haven't been able to score after that. Now, you mentioned it was a bit of an avalanche for West Coast, and it was. But I think Collingwood in the first quarter just looks like a different team to the way they play from quarters two through four. Again, uh, this isn't an overreaction to yesterday, just something to watch moving forward because we know they're a slow-moving team. We know they can really shut the gates defensively and stop teams from scoring. I just wonder what the, what the balance is going to be here and whether there's they have to give a little bit to, to score a little bit more because, uh, I, I mean, that's not a stat you would like. I mean, you want to be still trying to attack and kick these goals. I think after getting early leads, they've definitely gone super defensive. And it makes sense if you're trying to pick up the four points. Uh, but yesterday, they just didn't look like a team that was going to be able to score. Uh, and it's nothing new. Uh, the, the difference was, was the fact the Eagles were putting uh, goals on the board. But Collingwood scoring outside of the, the quick starts is is going to be something to continue to watch up forward. And they also couldn't get their hand on the ball as well. So they normally yeah. they're a very high possession team. They only had 272, and they were you know, minus 27. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's yeah. that's real low. They're still in that low kick to handball ratio, but they're just not getting enough of the ball in that scenario, which is something that they do and they get a lot of it and they work their way slowly in and around. But I don't know if there's any explanation as to why they're so slow uh, after that first quarter. It's, it could be random chance. We talked about the record of Carlton having those terrible first quarters you know, consistently, and that's sort of switched because they had a strong first quarter against North Melbourne, a massive first quarter against North Melbourne, strong against Port Adelaide, strong against the Bulldogs, and that sort of corrected itself. Is Collingwood's a, a fitness thing? They go hard the first quarter and they tire themselves out too quickly. That maybe is a stretch, but I don't. There's no other real explanation for it. To me, though, I can't say. Well, this is the reason why their first quarters are so good and everything else is subpar. I, I don't. I can't put my finger on what would even be a logical explanation for that. Yeah, I, I just think they're so strong defensively that it's easy for them to to lock down structurally and with the the. The high possession game they play, they can really just just basically run the clock down from the second quarter. It feels like that's the way they've played. But as far as goal kicking accuracy, and the Eagles <laughs> kicked pretty damn straight. Josh Kennedy, we should mention him, seven goals. Uh, I did tweet this number out, but he's 21st bag of six-plus goals since coming to the West Coast Eagles. The only guy that really is close to that, Buddy Franklin with 26. So uh, it's an indication. I mean, Kennedy, for the longest time, alongside Buddy, is probably the only guy I can think of over the last decade where when you were playing against the Eagles, you're just like, shit, I hope Kennedy doesn't get a hold of us here because he kicks big bags. Uh, but he was accurate yesterday, and so were the Saints against Port Adelaide. Their second win at Adelaide Oval uh, in a row within five days, actually, after not winning there prior to that. This was a huge win for them, and 12 goals won. Uh, it's pretty damn impressive stuff. Yeah, so they and they didn't kick that one point until halfway through the last quarter. Maybe it was it was a ridiculous, uh, a ridiculous run of accuracy. And of course, uh, with that uh, that memory goal, one of the one of the weirdest goals you will uh, yeah. absolutely ever see. But that is that's a that's a massive thing to be able to kick uh, as straight as what they are. They're going at fifty seven percent on their set shots this season, um, and I believe you know they struggled in in the first round of, of the year as well. And after. And from round two onwards, they are you know, going at 59% on set shots, 57% from general play, which are really, really big numbers. So their you know, differ- differential versus our actual is up. But these, you, you go that sort of level that they did against Port Adelaide. It is really hard to to uh, to get past if you are Port Adelaide. And then you know, they finish it off with a massive, strong uh, fourth fourth quarter, kicking five five goals in that uh, in that uh, final term. Yeah, got to give a shout-out again to Rowan Marshall. We questioned last week about uh, where he fits into the side and if he's going to be able to have the influence on the team with uh, Paddy Ryder in there as well. Paddy Ryder, again, took a lot of the center clearances. So if you're looking just purely from a... Uh, sorry, the, the hit-outs. So if you're looking purely from from that, Ryder had 29 hit-outs, Marshall only 11. But Marshall got the job done around the ground. He was arguably the best player on the ground. 15 disposals, couple of goals, uh, five tackles for the big fella, there's seven clearances as well, 421 metres gained. So the Saints have got a really, really good one there. I mean, he finished second in the best and fairest last year. We knew he was a good player coming in. But when you add the guys around him now, Zach Jones, again, huge for the Saints. He's just a hard runner, contested ball player. And uh, the, the guy, again, uh, Steele, he's, he's having a fantastic season. So the, the Saints, uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they look kind of dangerous. Remember, the, the couple of losses that they've had, North Melbourne, um, uh, a couple of close losses that the 
the Saints have had. They've really bounced back well, and this is a big win against the, the ladder-leading team. Yeah, that's, that's a huge win. I think that's their best win of the of the season by a, a considerable margin. Uh, you talked about Steele you know, playing a great. I thought Hunter Clark was really strong as well. Yeah. We know that he saw that little movie made in the midfield, but he's been pretty strong most of the season. He's going at almost seventy four percent disposal efficiency too. So it's a pretty good number for a young player just in his second season. They looked pretty strong, you know, mostly all around the ground. Jay Carlisle I thought was pretty solid in his uh, in his game. You know, Seb Ross had been down for a little bit. He stepped uh, stepped back up there. Jay Gresham was strong again. Yeah, Butler only had the nine touches, but kicked two goals. And he was you know, similar against Adelaide, just getting on the end and kicking a couple of couple of goals. And they were able to do those, um, you know, sort of quick turnarounds as well. That that thing that everyone hates in footy is when you've got the ball and you can't convert, then it just goes down the other end and, and you get a goal on the board. And that's always frustrating. And especially when, you know, I got it wrong before. I thought they didn't kick that point till late in the game. They kicked it early in the game and they didn't miss again for the rest of the game. So I, I got that one uh, wrong. I don't know why, how I got that mixed up in my head. But when you just go down there every time and convert, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't think there's too much to worry about from Port Adelaide here, though. No. Six goals, six goals, eight on the evening. I, I thought, again, the players that you want to see play well for them, Darcy Byrne-Jones, uh, Lightham's again was pretty good in the ruck, but I, again, I like the running players uh, for Port Adelaide as well. The young fellows, Dersma was pretty good. Uh, Sam Hayes has actually come into the team and had a bit of an impact as well. So yeah, look, Port Adelaide again, if you kick a little bit straight, uh, a little bit straighter, then you give yourselves a chance because the Saints were able to kick away uh, late in this game, but it was a lot closer than that for the majority of the game. So Port Adelaide uh, still feeling pretty good about themselves on top of the ladder and uh, they got Melbourne next week. So another winnable game for them. We've got a game on tonight, Kane. Um, your boys, Geelong, taking on Fremantle. Uh, the Dockers would want to you know, have a bit of a bounce back after what happened last week in the Derby. They take on Geelong. And as you said, it's been a very, very long time before we've, since we've seen Geelong play. Um, what, what, what are we looking at here? How, how do you see this one panning out? What, what's going to be the key to either of these teams getting the victory? Yeah, well, I think as far as the Cats go, I mean, I spoke about the ladder position and how they can swing high or swing low based on the result here. So this is a really critical game for them because I think if they lose with West Coast next week at Optus Stadium, who, let's be honest, I don't think too many people will be tipping the Cats in that game regardless of who's available. So this is a must-win must for Geelong. If they lose, they're going to find themselves in some pretty serious trouble with the we know. This is the first of four games in 14 days. So it's important for them to win. I think a stat that I want to look at is for the Dockers to be wary of because Fremantle play fast attacking football. They've actually been kind of entertaining to watch. So that can get the Cats on the back foot. We know fast ball movement has caught them out at times, but they've got to be careful on the turnovers because the Cats, remarkably, according to StatsInsider.com, are getting 49% of their shots on goal from 50-plus metres this season. Now, that sounds like a lot because it is. If you compare that to Fremantle, only 29%. So a huge swing there. The Cats get a lot of go- uh, shots on goal from outside 50. That's not necessarily bad forward 50 structure. It's because their midfielders kicked a lot. They kick a lot of goals. So you're thinking about Mitch Duncan, Sam Managola, uh, Cam Guthrie, Paddy Dangerfield. These players love to get the ball through the middle and run and kick goals. So for Fremantle, you've got to be just really careful on the turnovers because they're going to want to play attacking football and they're going to have to play attacking football but just don't get caught on the turnover because the Cats midfielders love to attack. Yeah, Geelong's shot chart is pretty wild. It's like a, a big T. It's almost like an NBA shot chart. It's just shots in the paint and shots yeah. from the three-point line. It's just everyone just shooting from, from 50, whereas Fremantle is, is pretty scattered all over the place. But they've doubled the amount of shots from outside 50 that, that the Dockers have this season, yeah. and they're also converting them at 49%. 
it's one of those things where you go, well, that's, that's interesting. But much like when we talk about the GWS inside 50 count, is it sustainable? If that's what you're relying upon so much of your offensive you know, force coming from shots from outside 50 and then shots from outside 50 going in, when historically you'd say that's not a uh, something you want to completely rely upon. If that doesn't work, much like when GWS's low forward 50 count doesn't work for them, it can look pretty ugly. So I'd like to see how those numbers look in wins versus losses for those outside 50 shots, because I think that might uh, show up something interesting. And that is something they're going to have to pay attention to, Fremantle. Now, Geelong had six force changes for this week. They do at least get Mitch Duncan back, but no Ablett, no Selwood, no Dalhouse, uh, Jack Stevens out as well, Clark and Fort both gone uh, both gone as well. And then you got Henderson, Duncan, Stewart. Uh, getting Stewart and Duncan back is huge. Fogarty, Constable, and Close coming into the team. So I think net it is a negative in terms of, obviously, if Ablett and Selwood are going out, it's a pretty big negative, but at least getting Stewart and Duncan back does ease that load or a little bit. Yeah, I mean, at this point, <laughs> I could I could go through every single team, and the Cats clearly. I mean, we spoke about it. they got a lot of players out, but uh, every team oh, just about has, yeah. you could say, yeah, they're missing this player. Remember, Fremantle don't have Nat Five, so for, for mine, that's a pretty heavy uh, leveler when you look at these two teams. The one guy I will mention is Charlie Constable. Last year, played seven games uh, for the Cats to start the season, and then fell out of the team. He's a young guy; he's only twenty-one, but he's one hundred ninety-one centimeters. He's a contested ball winner and midfielder. Uh, he averaged 22 disposals a game in his first seven games of AFL. So he's a guy that wins the football and kicks goals, kicked five goals in those. So uh, he's a player that Cats fans have been desperate to get in there for a long time and wondering why he hasn't got in there last year. I think he had a, a back-to-back games of 40-plus disposals with the VFL team. He just wins the footy. So uh, I think the guy that's been keeping him out has been Joel Salwood because they're, they're kind of similar in terms of the style of play, a, a heavy contested ball uh, winning player. So Charlie Constable's one guy to watch. And for Fremantle, just before we wrap this up, you mentioned Darcy Ford's out. Huge opportunity for Sean Darcy because the Cats, they're going to go in with Radagalia in the ruck. We know this has been Geelong's problem for the last eight years. They don't have a ruckman. And even, and when they have got one, they've fell injured. Reece Stanley's injured. Ford's injured. Radagalia is the number one ruckman. And I don't know what the backup is. Lucky Henderson? I mean, I, Maybe, I think yeah. he was... Tom I didn't Hawkins? think he was ever going. Uh, I, I just I didn't think Henderson was ever going to play AFL again. I can't believe he's selected in this team, but uh, he might be the backup ruckman. So huge opportunity for Darcy, who's a, a really talented young guy for the Dockers. Maybe they turn the clock back and chuck uh, Blixars back in the ruck, like we uh, like we had a few years ago. He he should Chris Scott should be banned from ever removing Mark Blixars from fullback after the prelim last year. Cost us a flag. Cost us a flag with that decision. And on that note, Kane, I'll let you go and stew on that. Uh, thank you again for uh, for joining me on Locked On AFL to begin another week as the footy wildness kicks off in earnest with a game tonight and then another game on Wednesday night. Don't forget, guys, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Kane, thank you. Yeah, plenty still to talk about tomorrow. We, we didn't get to GWS Richmond. We didn't talk about Brisbane, Melbourne, so I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. Guys, I'm going to leave you today with a shout-out to Gavin Krasiska.